Okay, today I'm in the Warrington area with Ron Wadey, racecourse bookmaker, previously uh, um, off, uh, off course bookmaking yeah. empire. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first week, so he's kind enough to send me your book, My Mother's Luck. Right. You've been a very successful man, but how much luck came into it, really? Not a lot, but yeah, everybody needs luck in life, um, especially bookmakers. Um, I think. I made a lot of my own luck from being just a bookmaker and not a bookmaker stroke punter. I'm not a punter. I never was. Never will be. I do have a bet. Probably might bet someone like in the premiership to get relegated. Just give me a bit of interest. Um, I, re I recently had a bet. Well, two years ago, I had a bet with Ben Keith. Uh, he laid me a monkey to 100 quid, Sunak, to be the next Prime Minister after Boris Johnson. That's where I'm a bit unlucky as a punter. He's now Prime Minister after Liz Trust made a town halls of it. So that's my sort of luck as a punter. Yeah, but having read your book, I don't get the impression that a few reversals would have stopped you much. Had me reversals? Listen... I lost 30 grand when uh, United did the treble in 1999. I laid a 30,000 to three that they did the treble. And I hate United. They always did. I'm a City fan. Proud of it. And, uh, I mean, I did hate United pre-1999, Fergus Follies. And uh, I can't put into words now what I think of them. But are you that upsetting all the football fans apart from uh, Man City ones? You made your fortune in the Haydare betting shops. You, was in, you were at the right place at the right time no, to get involved. No, uh, I've always had a good business head. That's one thing. I, I mean, I'm not a bolster. I hate braggarts. Um, I got a good tuition when I started working for Wally Mills in Wigan when I was 18. He taught me an awful lot about the game. I then moved into Manchester after staying with him for a couple of years. He didn't want me to leave. I didn't particularly want to leave, but I needed more money. I needed higher wages, and he wouldn't pay city centre wages. So I moved to Manchester. There about five years um, before I joined Sir Fred. Um, that didn't last long. We can talk about that in a bit. Um, but... The five years I spent in Manchester, I fell in love with the city. I worked bang in the city centre. Totally different characters, punters, what I'd experienced in Wigan. Totally different ball game in shop management. Vast experience I, 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 uh, that I learned and took on board working in Manchester. Fell in love with the city, as I said. Fell in love with Manchester City. Went to Wembley in 1969 to watch them win the FA Cup. Franny Lee Neil Young scored the goal. He beat um, Leicester 1-0. Uh, first FA Cup final I ever went to. Um, everything about Manchester was what Ron Wadey wanted out of life. And, you know, five, five years that I thoroughly enjoyed it from about the age of 20 to 25.
Okay, before we talk about your early your early days there, you got into racecourse bookmaking just when things were going a bit pear shaped, but you still succeeded. Um, well, bought my first racecourse pitch was about, and I think it was about pick eighteen in taps at Utoxeter, and we bought uh, Colin and myself, my son. We I bought that one on my own, and Colin said, "Let's buy an Epsom Derby pitch." We've never been to Epsom, and he said, "I'll, I'll go in with you." So we, we didn't pay, we paid about five grand, I think, for, I can't remember what pick it was. It was about pick 18, I think, in Tats, at Epsom Derby. We've now got pick seven and pick 12, which are very good. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was a learning curve. Totally different ball game to the betting shops. Far more interesting, far more challenging and far more rewarding for winning those challenges. Um, the betting shops, unless it was an accumulative, a Yankee bet, it was going to... I once, a guy won 36 grand off me on a Canadian bet. He only had four winners on a, a £50 Canadian, £1,300 stake. That was some bet to take. Uh, he had four winners. He collected 36, uh, 33 grand off me. I hedged on the last, had a 1500 quid double on the last two, 72 and 92. I actually won three grand on the deal. I collected 12 grand three times from the big three. Uh, and the, the geezer, the punter, done his 33 in with me over the next six months. So that was a bit of shrewd bookmaking. So what attracted you to betting shops in the first place? I worked um, for United Kingdom Atomic Energy Authority. I left, uh, I left school, we went to a grammar school Went in the sixth form with a view to going to university. I came from a very poor background. Uh, my mum and dad weren't wealthy. They were, they were, they were virtually paupers. Um, and uh, they couldn't afford to send me to university. They were scraping the barrel. My mum was trying to save every penny she could <laughs> to send me to university. After one year in the sixth form, I went home one night. Some of my mates who'd left school in the fifth form, after the fifth form, were earning, earning money. I used to borrow, well, not borrow, my mum would give, a, give me a pound to go out with my mates on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or something. And I, I felt embarrassed asking her for it. She couldn't afford to give me a pound. Um, and so I said to myself, look, she can't afford to... Um, Send me to university. I was clever enough to go. I was very good at maths, and um, I said to her, "I'm leaving school." Um, that really upset her. Um, and uh, anyway, I left, got a job, earning three quid a week. She got me the job actually in a, in a, a biscuit uh, machinery manufacturers. I was in the wages office and. Uh, the head cashier was a guy called Jack Hart, my mum's friend. And uh, he sat me, because he kept catching me in the betting shop when I should have been in work. <laughs> Life's a bitch. <laughs> <coughs> so then you started to work in betting shops? I did, yeah. Got a job with Wally Mills in Wigan. I applied, I broke my leg playing rugby. I was, I was heading for counter standard, play for Lancashire rugby. I went to school with Franny Cotton who everybody my age will remember him and what a fantastic prop forward he was, played for England many times. He left Newton Willers Rugby Club where he played with me 
to hit the big time because Newton Willis Rugby Club wasn't big enough to attract the scouts. And Franny ended up, he went to Waterloo on the Wirral, then he did a season there, then he moved to Sale, and then he was a county player and an England player. And the guys at Newton who were running the rugby side of things, it was a cricket club as well, um, said to me, you're going to have to go and play at Sale Run because you're going to be a county player. I said, I want to play with all my mates. All my mates are playing for Newtley Willows. Look, do you want to be a county player? I said, of course I do. But anyway, I never went to Sale because we played in a seven-a-side tournament at Oxford University. Uh, all England, there were 64 teams. And there was no subs in those days. If anybody got injured, you played your next match with six men. Anyway, we were going to win it. We were favourites to win it. We had a cracking side. Franny Cotton propped forward. He was like three men. He was like three players in one. David Hill played out half. He went on to play rugby league professional for Wigan for years. Him and his brother Cliff uh, played for Great Britain once. And uh, he was out half. I was the centre. Dave Bill used to just create gaps for me to go through. I was top try scorer all through David Hill. I had a wicked sidestep. Good, very good handoff. Was a bit of a dirty bee at times. I flattened a few. And uh, I remember one match, David, we're playing Oral. They were the top team in the northwest, and um, it was going to be always going to be a bloodbath, and it was. And um, David says to me, "You see that guy that uh, you're marking? Their centre." He said, "Yeah." He said, "He's a county player." Oh, I said, yeah, right, okay. When's the next county match then? He said, there's one in a couple of weeks. I said, he won't be playing. I nearly took his head off first time he got the ball. I never saw him again. <laughs> now, that was handy for your late, later betting shop career because um, there was a story where one of the Quality Street gang came in <laughs> and uh, he didn't yeah. put the Frighteners on you, did he? He, he? he did about two years ago when I realised who he was and you're talking about... 50 years ago when the incident happened I was there I'd moved on from Wally Mills because of the money situation wages and um, this geezer walks in and in those days there was no fifth the odds every race was a quarter of the odds and there were always some, some bad each way races and, and the, the, the shrewdies were in, in you especially in the city and um, this geezer walks in never seen him in life looks a bit shifty the cashier passes to me this bet can I take this monkey its way on second favourite in the two year old race four chance Jolly was five to two on four bar one ten bar two I said to him no thanks mate not interested in this bet he said take the bet I said I just said I don't want the bet take the bet and he was getting louder and um I said, look, mate, I said, it's not worth my job to take this bet. I said, if that wins, I said, I'll be, I'll be getting my P45. Take the bet. I said, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. You can have a monkey win, 250 a place. Take it or leave it. Take the monkey each way. Anyway, they're loading in the stalls. I said, you've no chance. I said, and you've not got time to go anywhere else. I said, you're not on. He said, well, I'll tell you something, sunshine. He said, if this horse wins, you're going to spend tonight and a few more nights in Salford Royal Infirmary. Oh, I said, 
I've had it all before, mate. I said, you don't frighten me. So he said, I'm telling you now, this horse better not win for your health's sake. And it didn't win. And he come back up to the car, he watched the race, I think the horse finished second, so it was a money back job. Um, and he said to me, you're a very lucky guy, sunshine. I said, please yourself. And he walked out. Found out when I was going on holiday somewhere, I was in Waterstones at Manchester Airport, some one of the bookshops, and I see this geezer on the front of a boat called, uh, it was called the Jimmy Donnelly story, Quality Street Gang of, Man Gang of Manchester. I thought, that's a geezer all them years ago that threatened to put me in hospital. So I bought the book. And I'll tell you what, having read the book, he wasn't joking. He was the Manchester Mafia. And I was a 20-year-old crackpot for getting involved with him. Anyway, all's well that ends well. Now, your mum was a churchgoer, so what does she think about your new career? How long have you got? Uh, about two minutes. <laughs> right. Oh, my mum. Best mum I ever had. Only ever had one mum. She was the pride of my life. I loved that woman so much. And I, I, I cried for three days when she died. And, um, yeah, I broke my leg playing rugby in that tournament in Oxford University um, in the quarterfinals. I was in hospital when they played the semis. Six minutes, uh, six in our team, seven in witnesses' team, and they got beat with two points, which was an unbelievable performance. And if we'd have, if I'd have broke my leg, I mean, six against seven at sevens rugby, the team of six have got no chance. I don't care how good they are. Uh, and I didn't play in the semi, I was in hospital. If I had broken my leg when I did in the quarterfinals, no doubt we would have been champions of England. No doubt whatsoever. And um, anyway, what was the same? What was the question? What did she think about you working oh, yeah, my mum, yeah. with gangsters? Yeah, she wasn't impressed. Uh, what happened? I had a broken leg. And I was working at um, the government place. United Kingdom Atomic Energy Authority in a job that I had no interest in whatsoever uh, the guy who was tutoring me uh, hadn't got a clue about the job and he was a chief executive officer he'd uh, bluffed his way into that position and uh, anyway as I say broken leg off sick advert in the newspaper Ben shop manager wanted Applied for the job, got the job, and the rest is history. Right, you ended part one by saying the rest was history, but you haven't opened your first shop yet, so tell us about owning your first betting shop. Um, first betting shop, I mean, I was, I was a betting shop training manager at 18, running a shop by the time I was 18 and a half, and a council estate that was, and gee, but some of those punters, oh, we used to do about 2,000 tickets on a Saturday afternoon in this particular shop of Wally Mills and uh, 2,000 tickets in a betting shop is a colossal amount of bets and the average bet was about two quid five pence each way number seven if cash ten pence each way number eight in the next race I used to go take a bottle of paracetamol into work every Saturday anyway yeah so ten years later I bought my first betting shop, a little terraced corner house 
that had been converted to a betting shop next to a pub. Didn't pay much for it because I ain't got anything. I had to go about a grand. I paid him a bag steel and borrowed from mum and dad and my auntie who'd got a few bob, she had a rich husband. Um, I paid them all back, even the parents. Um, and um, Fred Don started the same way. He borrowed bag steel and borrowed to open his first betting shop. And look what he, where he's ended up. Well, tell us a bit about Fred Don. Fred? Yeah, Fred and I were good pals. I went to work for him. My um, third job in as a bench shop manager. He begged me to go and work for him. He uh, headhunted me from Mark Lane's. Uh, yeah, we got on quite well. And he promised me many, many things. He was going places, and he certainly did go places. Nobody can argue with that. Um, and I was going to be going with him as his general manager. They only had three shops. Peter, his brother, ran one. Fred ran the head office, and I... Um, they just bought a shop off a guy called Malpus near Salford Docks and I was put into there to manage that yeah it was good, it was a nice shop I built it up he, uh, he badly needed a shop fit he didn't have the money to do the shop fit so it was basically it was a pigsty um, anyway he promised me that, it's in the book this he promised me that um, I could be his general manager as he developed I was going to develop with him I'd end up uh, being his right hand man and then one day he worked for Ernie Peters a bookmaker a Blackpool guy who had shops in Salford and Manchester him and Peter both worked for Ernie Peters and then all of a sudden as with most of Ernie Peters managers he must have paid good wages uh, they all owned their own shops I would never have had enough money at that time to to buy um, a tobacconist kiosk never mind a betting shop um, so I, I should have got a job with Ernie Peters shouldn't I um, anyway I went working for Fred in the same this shop he promised me that I was going to be uh, his general manager then one day Peter Doan his brother and this guy called Les Churn walked in my shop and uh Peter said, this is Les Cherm. I said, I know this guy. I said, uh, he, um, he used to manage the shop round the corner from where I worked in the city. Manchester, that is. And um, he said, he's in our new general manager. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I said to Peter, can we talk somewhere privately? Yeah, yeah, what's the matter? I said, don't you know what's the matter? I said, you brought this geezer here now as um the new general manager, i.e. my boss, and all I've come here and built this shop up to do is to become your general manager, as I was promised by Fred. I said, and now, you've kept me in the ghoulies. I said, I'll tell you what, here Pete, there's the keys, run the shop yourself, I'm off. And I, I walked out, and I said to him, you owe me a few quid for last week, or this week's wages, post it on to me. So when you, um, so you sort of fallen out with the Doan organisation, but you were a contemporary. They fell out with me. Right, they fell out with you, but you were a contemporary theirs at the time, and you weren't shining and offering to buy other people's betting shops, were you? I ain't got any money. But, but when you when you progressed a bit, you you would happily walk somewhere. No, I, I I built up a business. I, in total, I had twelve shops, bought and sold and bought and sold, and I ended up with five top grade shops. It's like my race course pitches now. 
I don't want pick 30 at Ascot National Hunt. I've just bought pick three on the rails. I'll be there on Saturday. I think it's a great buy. Bought it off for, uh, for Wharton Slaney. Nice chap, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Won't mind him buying me a meal at some stage. Um, right. Yeah, so... Uh, so did you actively go looking for good pitches for betting shops? Like, because like you say, it's all important having a good pitch. I started pitch. off at grassroots because that's all I could afford. But I bought my first pitch in the, my local town. Every, a lot of people knew me. And uh, a lot of people come punting with me because I gave them a good deal. Uh, I nearly went skint. And I had nothing to get, to really get, had nothing to lose because I didn't have anything really, to, so to speak. But when Red Rum won his third national, Jesus, that nearly wiped me out. I couldn't believe it. I, could, I stood it for the sweep because I didn't believe any of us could win the Grand National three times. What a mistake that was. That was a reversal. You asked me about reversal. But, but most of the time, obviously, the punters must have lost because you made a, you made, you built a small I'll tell empire. you what happened. I, I got lucky. My mother's luck, actually. There was a shop, where I had this shop, there was a triangle of three shops, all independents. Um, and a guy called Norman, who had one, it was like a triangle of three shops, one very good shop, doing about six grand a week. They were all cash, it was no credit with me. And uh, another shop doing three grand a week, and our shop was doing three grand a week. So the, the triangle, which was a quarter of a mile sort of radius, there was 12 grand worth of business under three roofs, and that was a colossal amount of money. One betting shop taking 12 grand a week in those days was worth a small fortune. And I thought, I'm going to have all three of these shops, I'm going to throw the keys away for two of them, and I'm going to end up with the best shop, which was owned by a guy called Keith Davis. I actually went into it. Oh, well, what happened first? Norman, I can't remember his surname, he had one of these shops. He was doing three grand a week. Come in, introduced himself. And uh, lovely man, lovely man, churchgoer. He said, how are you getting on with this? I said, well, I had to place five minutes. He said, will you buy my shop? I said, what with? I said, I ain't got any money. He said, uh, I'm not bothered about money, he said. My wife's put the gun at a gun at me head. I either get out of the game, because she's the churchgoer, or she's going to divorce me. He said, I love it a bit. Oh, I said, how much do you want for your shop? I said, I know it's doing about the same amount as I'm doing. Well, he said, how about foot? He said, how much have you paid for this? I said, 1,300 quid. A guy called Alf Blake, ex-Demi employee. And uh, I said to him, Right, I haven't got 1,400 quid. He said, I want 1,400 because it's a bit better than this, what you've got. I said, well, I'll take your word for that. And um, anyway, cut the story short. He said, have you got 200 quid? So I said, yeah, give me 200 quid and pay me 100 quid a month for 12 months. I said, Jesus, that's a good offer. I thought, but hang on, I said, Norman, I can only be in one place. Nobody's going to come and work for me. I'm a nobody. Let me think about it. I said, come and see me again in a couple of days. And I got itchy feet. And there's an old mate of mine who used to come in the Fred Doan shop that I managed. He had a paper shop across the road. He was a semi-professional footballer, played for Lancaster City. His name was Ken Donegan. So I told him the story about Norman. And he said to me when I left Fred, I kept in touch with him. And uh, he said, look, if you ever want a partner, I'm your man. 
So I said, I'll bear that in mind. I said, but I can't see that ever happening. I said, I ain't got two bob. And uh, anyway, as the story went, I rang him. I said, look, I told him the story, what I'd done with this first shop. I said, there's geezer around the corner wants to sell me his shop now. I said, he ain't got the money. He said, I've got the money. I said, well, you buy that shop. I said, he wants it 200 quid on down payment. I said, 100 quid a month for 12 months. I said, it's a gimme. Said, I said, I can't sleep at night. I've got to get 200 quid together and some staff. And I said, but the easiest option would be for you to come in. I said, I'll have to give you a crash course in, in settling bets. And he, he, he'd come on board. He bought that shop and we made a partnership. for It lasted about seven years. And then I had bigger ambitions than him. And uh, he wasn't sort of ambitious in an very ambitious at all to be honest and that's what caused the split uh, he went his way, I went my way we split the business in half he's dead now unfortunately um, anyway um, what was I saying Sam? you said about the business well, what I want to know is punters most punters would have lost money to you did you ever feel sorry for like people that come in every day you're, you're uh, regular listen I'll tell you something I've paid out on course on winners that's got disqualified and not one punter has ever brought that money back. So, have I got a guilty conscience about people losing money? Ask me another. Did you did you ever ban winning punters from any I did, of the shops? I did. Were they a bit thinner on the ground in those days, winning punters? I had a lovely guy, an absolute gentleman, uh, called Barry Cash. Cash, Barry Cash, what's his name? He lived in the next village to me lovely man and I gave him a credit account I trust, I'd trust him with my life and he used to get he was a, a market trader in Oldham Market selling um, cakes pies, that sort of stuff Loved. he lived in a fantastic detached house in cultures, his house would have been worth, in Surrey his house would have been worth 10 million today, anyway he got cancer oh, oh no he died, he come on to me he said can I can I give you a deposit and uh, and ring you up with bets? I said, of course you can, yes. And anyway, he gave me a grand or whatever. Anyway, I, I know, a, well, more often than not, I get it right. 99% of the time I get it right. I, I, I can pick an honest face out. and I like dealing with honest people because I've never been anything but myself. And um, anyway, he, he rang up and he lost and he lost... It's the same guy that won 30 grand off me when United did the treble. He had, I led him 30 grand to three. He's a big United fan. That was the only problem he had. Um, you know, Fergus Follies. Um, hated them before they won the treble. Geez, anybody mentions them now, I spit at them. So, <laughs> no, no, you I were... love it now when City stuff them every match. <laughs> no, you've been a very successful businessman, but... Things that have suffered a bit, and this isn't a secret, it's in your book, have been relationships a bit. Now, is bookmaking to blame? Is this bookmaking go with sort of long marriages and things no, like that? I haven't even married once. What are you talking about? You've not read the book properly. Yes, I have. <laughs> I've got married and I've got two lovely sons with that lady and we still speak to her. I mean, she's forgiven me for doing what I did. Uh, I was only a betting shop manager when I was married to her didn't make any money, I'd found out about the price of a pint. Um, 
I was too young. Got married. I, I made her pregnant with David, and we got married. We didn't have a, we didn't have a, a bob. Anyway, it, it didn't last. It lasted about ten years. I had two lovely sons, and they both worked for me now. Colin's been with me right through it. David's got his own taxi cab business. He just bought a brand new six-seater Mercedes taxi. Cost him about forty grand. Uh, I asked him for a share, and he told me where to go. Um, so. But he's coming to Ascot with us this Saturday. Colin will be there. The, the, the Wadey family will be there in in bulk. And I mean bulk round my stomach as well. <laughs> now, you said now, about... Who's, you... Turn, who's turn is it to buy the drinks? There's a pub there. We've got to get this done. Right. Now, you talked about... Um, you talked about your waste, which isn't that bad for... Uh, no, I no... actually... I'll tell you something about that. The heaviest I've ever been is 15 and a half stone. And I played tennis up to about a year ago, to a good standard. At, um, at 70, I only started playing when I was 53. Uh, the club I played, village club I played at, we, I played in the, le- the local leagues. Started off in the sixth team when I was 53. Never held a tennis racket in my life. By the time I was... 62 been playing about 8-10 years I'd gone from the 16 to the 13 a little bit out of my depth uh, but maybe they were desperate for I won as many as I lost in the 13 got dropped to the 4th team when they got a couple of good youngsters coming through the ranks uh, was held me up more than held me home in the 4th team and loved every minute of it. Uh, played to win, which I did at cricket and rugby in my youth. Um, got a bit annoyed if people started cheating. Had a few uh, face-to-faces at the net with the opposition when they were calling my good shots out, my winning shots, they were calling them out. I called them a cheat. Talking about cheating, you cheated a bit with um, some... Not illegal substances, but something to keep you, something to keep you awake. Oh, Jesus. Tell us about your pro well, plus I'll tell, Well, I'll tell you what, I had, I probably went down to about five terrific shops, shops, and, um, and a girl working for me, Saturday girl, and she worked on nights at a factory, Monday to Friday, came from her night shift on a Friday, went home for two hours sleep, and came and worked for me in the betting shop at Holland, which is a very busy shop, um, on Saturdays. And by this time we were open for night racing. The half past six shut had gone out the window. We were open till half past nine, I think, ten o'clock maybe. And uh, by the end of August, coming to the end of the night racing season, I worked through the summer, I was working 15 hours a day. Six days a week. That's, I think it's 90 hours, isn't it? I'm not bad at math. And, um, anyway, uh, I was like a zombie. I was so tired, I couldn't sleep. I was in work at eight o'clock in the morning. I was still there at eleven o'clock at night. Checking, doing security and that. I didn't delegate. Um, like I should have done, but finding people you could trust wasn't easy. I did a lot of sackings. A lot of people got the P45s for being dishonest. Um, anyway, yeah, so she said to me, Ron, you look knackered. I said, that's because I am. I don't look it, I am it. And she said, look, try these. She said, I, work, I take them all the time. We're working these night shifts. 
and it's called Pro Plus. I said, what's this? Why are you putting me on drugs? She said, no, over-the-counter stuff from the chemist. She said, it's like caffeine. It's a boost. Keeps you going. Oh, I said, I'm in for some of them. I said, give me some, please. She did. I didn't get hooked on them. They're over-the-counter. They weren't drugs. They were just a booster. But the last two weeks of the night racing season, that being every August, I was taking them every day. Every day. I was just gone. And uh, anyway, so I sold four shops in 1999 probably needed the money after that punter took 30 grand off me for United the same year and I sold them guess who I sold them to my mentor Frank Seymour he was then MD of Dave Pluck Limited, a world firm they had about 10 shops and Dave Pluck strange fella, I met him a couple of times with Frank couldn't, couldn't never weigh him up he was he was bit weird Frank Frank told me since Frank retired and he died this year so sad about that and uh, because we became very very good friends anyway I was I was going stale I I, I, I didn't got the appetite for the uh, further expansion I was down to five shops all good shops and uh, I said to Frank I'm going to sell four shops do you know, he said, I can tell you're falling out of love with the game. I said, I'm tired, Frank. I said, I just want one shop. I said, I've got a cracking shop, the one I built myself. I said, it was, it was doing 38 grand a week cash. There was 20 shops in Warrington. It was head and shoulders, the best shop in Warrington. And it was all through me, through hard work and dedication. Anyway, I sold four shops to David Pluck Limited. He made me a miserly offer initially, being the man he was. Great friend, as I said. And uh, anyway, I squeezed another, uh, I think it was another 600,000 out of him after, on his first offer. But what about these Pro Pluses, Ron? Oh, the Pro Pluses, yeah. Well, no, this is when we were down to one right, shop. Okay. So, I was only, when we got down to one shop, the good top shop, well, they're all good, but this was the cream on, on the cake. And... Uh, Colin's day off say it was a Tuesday and I was working Tuesdays and Saturdays or whatever the lad needed a day off we were open seven days a week then and uh, it was a day off and somebody had invited me out for dinner somewhere on the Monday night and I got, I got home two o'clock in the morning in a taxi and I was shit faced so I went straight to bed knowing I'd got to get up in the morning to go and open the shop up I got an hangover of all hangovers when I got up the next morning. I was tired, I hadn't had enough sleep. I had about five hours sleep, which was, I've always been a, a long night sleeper, so to speak. I can sleep ten hours. And I ain't got a guilty conscience, you see. And um, anyway, uh, I go into the shop, open the shop up. I felt like death warmed up. But prior to leaving the house, I looked in the medicine cupboard and there's these Pro Plus. Oh, I thought I'm having them for my breakfast. So I got to the shop, takes two Pro Plus. Half an hour later, I couldn't stand up. I just felt so ill. And, and the angle was wearing off. I had to ask a punter, who I trusted, to come behind the counter because the cashiers didn't come until an hour before the first race. 
And I said to Tony, I said, I feel so ill. I said, I can't take bets. I've got to sit down on my desk. I said, come take the bets, please. Showed him how the tools worked. He was all right, and I rang Colin. I didn't want to ring him, he deserved a day off. I said, you're going to have to come in. I said, I, said, I feel dreadful. I didn't tell him what it was all about. I said, can you please come in? I said, I, said, I probably need to go to the hospital. I said, I feel so bad. I didn't tell him what I'd done. Anyway, he comes in. I could see his face. He was scared out of his wits. What am I doing? Is my dad having a heart attack or something? So he come, he said, what's the matter? I said, I, I said, something's not right. I said, I might be having a heart attack. I said, ring an ambulance. Ambulance came, took me out of the shop on a stretcher. Everybody in Warrington, the birds were singing, weighed his had a heart attack. So I got in the ambulance with the paramedics. They did an ECG, found nothing wrong. Said, we're going to take you to hospital, just to be sure, to be sure. I met a doctor, a lady doctor, she was only in her late 20s. What a brilliant young girl she was. She gave me the best examination, and she was pretty as well, um, you know, I've ever had in my life. And she said, tell me everything you've done today, what you've had for your breakfast, what time you got up out of bed. So I told her the full story. She said, oh, by the way, I'd taken, by this time, I'd taken four Pro Plus. The first two never touched the sides. Anyway... She said, well, she said, where's the Pro Plus? I said, they're in the office, in a pigeonhole. She said, do you know the expiry date? Not a clue. I said, they, they were at home in my medicine cabinet. I said, uh, not a clue. I said, been in the medicine cabinet. I said, I've not took them for years. I said, I'm down to one shop. I'm not under the same pressure. I'm not working anywhere near as hard. I'm a millionaire now because I sold four shops. Um, I said... You know, I don't know, I don't need Pro Plus. I'm not born for years, but these were in the cupboard. They've been there for ages. She said, this is why I'm asking you the expiry date, plant pot. So I said, nobody calls me a plant pot. She said, well, I just did. I said, well, you can, nobody else can. Anyway, um, I rang Colin in the shop. said, there's some Pro Plus in the pigeonhole. Can you see the expiry date, please? So he said something. They were about a year out of date. So I said, they're a year out of date. Ah, that answers all the questions, she said. Those Pro Plus things, if you leave them and let them go out of date, they ferment. She said, and what you've taken, taking four of them that have now fermented, you've taken a low dose of heroin. That equates to a low dose of heroin. And I just, I was dumbstruck. And I, trying to be funny, I said to her, so am I a drug addict now then? And she laughed, and I laughed. And she said, look, she said, they're caffeine. She said, I think you've got an allergy to caffeine. And she was right. I started drinking decaf coffee after that. Right. Now, panic attacks I was getting. So that's the story about the Pro Plus. Yeah. You've got the Ratlongs, you've got loads of stories. What about your love of greyhound racing? Tell us briefly about that. Um, yeah, and, and I was in love with greyhound racing. How did it all start? Oh, um, I was had a girlfriend whose brother was a trainer at Bellevue, a guy called Otto Queries. He now lived in Ireland near uh, Turley's, not Thurles, Turley's. Um, me and Otto, we got to know each other. He used to come around my house for dinner with his wife and that. I'm a good chef. I'm good at most things, Simon. Um, anyway, and I'm a big head. And um, anyway... Um, I got to know Otto, and he said, why don't you buy a dog? 
with me. We'll go half eat. Instead of got good connections in Ireland. But let's spend a few bob. I said, how much do you want about spend? Well, he said, let's spend two or three grand a piece and have a dog worth five or six grand. He said, I've got, I said, I've got my eye on one now. He said, you don't buy two legs of that. I said, go on, I'll go for it. I've never owned a ground before. I'd had shares in horses. Anyway, um, so we buy this dog. We went over, watched it win an unraced stake in Harold's Cross. It's a dog called Winter Fair. And, it turned out, had two better dogs on paper than Winterfair, but he was open class, and he turned out to be a right gambler, a dog to gamble on. You could trust him as long as he was in trap six. And I knew this. I brought him, eventually, to cut the story short, I brought him over to Chris Lund, uh, independent trainer, who trained a lot of dogs for Harry Finlay. And uh, there was an open race at Bellevue on a Sunday night, and it, Chris and I agreed that the dog needed to have a look at the track so we gave him a solo trial on the Wednesday and he did a very mediocre time to be honest he put him in trap 3 for the solo and don't know why the dog didn't do a good time at all he was lucky to get in the open race anyway he got him in and I said whatever you do Chris seed him wide and I didn't tell him why I said that but I knew what he'd done in, um, in Ireland out of trap 6 I, I, I had a four and a half thousand to two in Kilkenny on him it, from nine to four into no offers against a uh, Irish derby finalist in the same race my dog five lengths clear at the bend in massive early place one two lengths so you don't have dogs anymore? no it's it was a phase in my life I have phases I'm 75 now I know I don't look it and I know I don't act it but I am like, I've still got things to do. I've got dogs, two bull mastiffs. Right, well, in part four, we're going to find out about the latest phase. So stay tuned, everyone. Right, Ron, I expect you've heard this old joke that we were on racecourses a lot. Um, how did you end up with a million quid as an on-course bookmaker? You start with two. This is what, this is, you start with two million if you want to end up with a million as a racecourse bookmaker. That's the old joke I've been telling uh, you. Yeah, times. you're dead right. Well, buy, buy pick 60 at Adot Park and buy pick 50 at Pontefract. That's how you end up going from two million to one. So why did you decide to become a racecourse bookie? Because well, that's a totally different beast. Yeah, it? absolutely. That could be my car. Colin's got the key to his mate and stopped. Right. Yeah, how did it become I sold I retired when I was fifty-three when I sold my last shop to Labrokes for 1.2 million. Um, I know it says 750 in the book, but I retained the property and they gave me a lease for 15 years uh, for 20 grand a year rent, something like that. And then eventually Labrokes surrendered the lease because Dave Pluck, funny enough, opened about um, 50 yards away on the same precinct, by which time they thought a quarter mile radius thing had gone out the window. And you had high streets up and down the country with a Willie Mill shop, a Coral shop, a Labroke shop, all in 25 yards. All because of the slot machines. I was out the game by then, so it didn't matter. But I retired at 53, got a tech life here, started playing tennis. Colin was too young to retire, obviously. I looked after him with the proceeds of the last shot, made him a rich man. And um, anyway, 
I said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm, I'm, he said, I'm not sure. He said, I've, I've got a few thoughts. What I, I said, the only reason I'm not giving you this last job, I don't want you to have the life I've had. I have been a workaholic. I've made lots of sacrifices. Um, after my first marriage, I actually lived with a, a woman, my bank manager's secretary she was, turned out to be a right dragon. Um, I had two lovely daughters with her, one of which we, we've not got on, she let me down. The other one is, a, you know, she's a cream of the crop. She's, you shouldn't have favourites. I've got two lovely boys and I've got a daughter that's I'd die for. Um, and she's just done me proud. She's 39 now. Her mother never kept her out of school, her mother. She, she was a golfer for her mother because uh, her mother had another son by some other guy when I'd split up with her. And uh, anyway, so um, when we're coming Yeah, from, you got to, why, why did you decide to go on course? Oh, yeah. So I sold the shop to Labbrokes that made me another million plus and uh, retired. See, I sold it in the March because I was going to go Cheltenham. I said, I want this deal done before Cheltenham. I said, because I bought a pitch at Cheltenham. Pick 40 or something in tats, not worth a balloon. But I, was, I didn't know anything about racecourse bookmaking. So how quickly did you have to learn that? I'm a quick learner. Very quick. Cost you, listen, otherwise, listen, it? Listen, mate. Again, I told you I'm a big head. On that computer making a book in 2022, I backed myself against anybody. I'm odds on. And bits on. I don't care if it's Star Sports, I don't care if it's John Hooper, I'll, I'll beat any of them. There you go, bookies, even Tim Brown. Now that could be a photo finish. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did the other bookmakers on course accept you? Do they say? No, I found it very hard work being a northerner and buying pictures. I bought pictures initially primarily down south because that's where the money is. All the rich people live in Surrey. So, I bought Sandown Park, I bought Ascot. I like, I like the nights out, the overnight stays. I like the big feast after racing, quality food. Have a few beers, not many. I'm not a heavy drinker by any means. Like a glass or two of wine with a meal. Um, don't get me wrong, I've been pissed. I'm going to say in your book, you're a bit of a work hard, play hard type of guy. I was younger then, believe it or not. <laughs> so, and also, you were one of the first UK bookies to in Ireland, but not in your own name, I understand. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm, I was going out with a girl, I've had a few girlfriends now, come to think of it, uh, an Irish girl that I met in a pub after Punchestown one day. And I bought a pitch with uh, Kenny Walsh, guy from all Rossi Brothers, been a mate of mine for years. We were doing business over the phone when we both had shops. Uh, he was trading at Artwell's, I think there were three of them involved in that. I never had, apart from Ken Donegan for seven years initially, uh, I didn't want partners. Partnerships don't work. Because uh, obviously some partners have got bigger ambitions than others. And uh, my, my ambitions were endless. Um, so, yeah. So I said to Ken, I'm going to buy a pitch in, uh, I'm going race course, Punchestown, I said. I'm going out with a, a woman from Nace, just around the corner. I said, hey, do you, you fancy coming in? Well, he said, I've, I've got good pictures, and he had good pictures in the UK, very good pictures. He sold most of them. I don't, I don't see much of him these days. 
Um, anyway, so we brought this picture in Punterstown between us and he said, his name's Ken Walsh, and he said, can I make a suggestion? He said, we can't call it Ron Wadey. He said, they won't know what, who Ron Wadey is. But Walsh, Ruby Walsh, blah, let's trade as Walsh Racing. Not a problem to me. You can trade as who you want. You can trade as Simon Knott if you want. That uh, won't get him in. Hey. That won't get him in. Well, you're not a bad looker. Huh. You're getting old now. <laughs> Come on, Ron, let's get over part four. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> what were we up to? We're talking about your betting in Ireland. Oh, yeah. Well, what? I'm Ken came in. We bought a Galway pitch as well, the same year. We traded it for a year. It was a different ball game altogether. A lot of the Irish bookmakers then, and a lot of them still are now, they're dual purpose. They're not bookmakers. The bookmakers stroke punters. I've never been a punter, so to speak of. You can't do both. Anyway, Ken, after a year, said, this isn't for me. We had one season, Galway and Punchestown. This isn't for me. What, how do you think we should work it out? Well, I said, I'll buy you out. I'll pay you whatever you put into it. I'm going to give it you. And then the pictures are mine. And that's what happened. We never fell out. Do you, you still bet over there now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't miss it. It's like a holiday camp. It's like Butlins. So you were, um, you mentioned Colin a lot. I mean, everybody on the race course know Colin. Yeah. Are you happy that you introduced him into bookmaking in hindsight? Are you glad that that's he, the I didn't introduce him into it. He introduced himself. Right, yeah, he, he went stacking you. shelves in Tesco till he was 18. Right? And he, the day he was 18, he had a job with me. And before that, when he was 15, he'd come and worked in the betting shop behind the scenes with a pile of bets like that, about 50 bets, all sort of doubles, nothing like a, nothing like a 50 pound Canadian, which we did take one of one day. That's another story. <laughs> and, uh, <coughs> Excuse me, and uh, yeah, he took to it like uh, a fish to water. Right now, you're a man that likes to speak his mind. What's the, what's the problem? Biggest problem with bookmaking at the moment, on course bookmaking. There's no unity. There's too many associations. There should be one association like there is in Ireland. What Ray Mulvaney, who's chairman of IMBA, Irish National Bookmakers Association, in Ireland has been for three years. What he has achieved in this um, pandemic, <coughs> we used to have to pay payment in absence. In other words, if you didn't go, you paid the pitch fee. For me, in Punches, about 20 odd race meetings in Punches down every year. I only went five days to the festival, and then the other 20 days was costing me about 150 quid a day. It cost me three grand a year. And I was in England, not in Ireland. So that was one reason I got out of Punchestown. But the main reason was the pitch I had, which was a cracking pitch, but I paid good money for it. I got naff all for it because outside this pitch, underneath the stand, was a Paddy Power betting shop. And they used to flock out of there after they'd watch an away race, come and punk with me. Because the guy next to me, I picked number two, the guy next to me in pick one was an absolute novice. I mean, I'd got two pitches. I had his an article, he didn't know how to take a bet, didn't know how to use a computer. Um, anyway, I got there one year. Crikey, I couldn't believe it. No betting shot, moved 50 yards towards the rails. Oh my God, I put my head in my hands. My pitch was then probably worth 
100 grand. I paid about 70 for it. It was now worth 20 grand, and that's what I got for it. Right. My mother's luck, on my mother's not so good luck. So the, the last couple of pit, bits here. So you've been in both sides of the game, betting shops in the heyday and bookmaking still now. Which do you prefer now you've experienced both of them? Now, at 75, you couldn't give me a betting shop. Could not give me a betting shop. The overheads, they've got two suppliers, is it? Um, what are they called? Two commentary teams. Um, SIS, and, SIS uh, and somebody else. And uh, RUK. Yeah. Why do they need two? Double the overheads. Betting shop. There's a betting shop in my local village. Fred's got it. Had it for years. Before Fred had it, it was an independent, can't remember his name. That shop in the uh, 80s was doing 30 grand a week cash, which was an unbelievable turnover. Fred bought it off this independent, can't remember his name. Anyway, I go in that shop now, not to have a bet, I go in that shop to read the racing post because I can't afford to buy one. and. Um, I don't go in every day, but when I go in, sometimes I go in in racing, sometimes I go in in the morning, uh, there's nobody in the place. There might be a couple of blokes playing the machines. There's no business going across the counter. They're, a, they're an absolute loser today. If it wasn't for the machines, I'd, I don't know how many shops there are in the UK now. There used to be 9,000 at one time. I'd say there's about six or seven, I don't know. Um, if they didn't have those machines, they're apparently still good, and even they've reduced it to two quid a spin. Um, and uh, if there were 6,000 betting shops still around about five years ago, without those machines, there'd be about 3,000 from 9,000. That's how good betting shops are today. Okay, so what about racecourse bookmaking? Got to have good pictures. Got to have top pictures, and that's all I want, and that's all I've got. Just bought. Ascot Rails 3 this week off Wharton Slaney. Uh, because to be honest, I bought it for one, he wanted 80 grand for it. I've not paid him anything like that. I've stole it off him. And you can tell him, I'll tell him. He'll, he'll still, really watch this, will he? Hopefully. He'll, he'll, uh, he still owes me a meal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can slice that, can't you? Okay, so um, so there's, few, there's definitely future race with bookmaking. Well, uh, about just before the pandemic, I spent 200 grand on pitches, 200,000 pound on a, a top class entry pitch of my good old, my, my best mate, or second best mate, he might be, or even 50th best mate, Brian Hazel. Um, but, and funny enough, we did it, signed it all up and gave him a cheque, sat and he was sat in the front of my car. And in the back of the car was Colin and Desi. My dog I've got, my bull Mastiff, who now weighs 10 stone. And I've never seen Brian Hayes faintly change so much when he saw the dog. He was absolutely crapping himself. <laughs> he was talking to me and watching the dog. So that's what sprung the deal, was it? Well, I think, the, I think Desi had a bit of a say in it. Um, so I, was, I spent, I spent a, a lot of money on that pitch. That was about, I can't remember, about 100 and something thousand, over, well over 100,000. Um, and I bought another pitch at the same. I bought, oh, I bought another Epsom pitch, number seven in Tats off uh, Pat Walsh. 
another lovely man. So even though he's from the south, he's a nice man. Okay, so your bookmaking for Super Future will be on course bookmaking. Um, with loads more stories that we haven't got time to talk about, but your book, My Mother's Luck, can we still get it anywhere? Can you still buy it? Yeah. I've got six copies. I'm going to have to have a reprint. There you go. Or an it, auction, it, it, first of all, for them. Pardon? Or an auction, first of all. Get as much as you can for those six. No, I'm not greedy. Never yeah. was. Never but, was. But the, Never in seriousness, it goes to charity some of it as well, uh, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, 20% to Mary. That book, published, written by the help of a ghostwriter, because I was bored in the pandemic, had no work. I was sitting at home twiddling my thumbs. Could only walk the dog so far in a day. Uh, I thought, bollocks, I'm going to write a book. So I got in touch with uh, Christopher, whatever his name is, can't forget. And I said, I want to write a book. Do you know anything about bookmaking? He said, no, but I'm willing to learn. I said, come on. It's cost me 10 grand to publish that book. And I 20% to Marie Curie. That's two grand for them. They've had about four grand as far as I'm aware. Right, I've had nothing. I've not made a penny. When you publish on that. it again. I'm a loser. You, I'm a loser on no, that. Not at all. So on that note, Ron Wendy, and also if if you do publish it again, we'll let everybody know on Twitter. Well, I'll do a reprint. I won't yeah, publish do, it again. do a reprint. Yeah. Okay, so we'll look out for that. My mother's luck. If you can get a copy of it, it's You've very, got a copy. very, very, very interesting. No, I have. Anybody well, watching look, this? Anybody you watching paid, this? You paid me a tenner for that, didn't you? I did. Get it sold for twenty. If anybody's watching this and you can find a copy of Ron's if book, if, if anybody's not watching it, they're out of their mind. Exactly. So on that note, Ron Wadey, thank you very much. Top man. Enjoyed it, believe it or not. Me too. Even though you are from south of Watford. <laughs> oh, I'm still recording. You know that, don't you? I don't give a toss. <laughs>